Hey, awesome, awesome. My name is Matt, and I want to thank everybody that helped us uh, bring about, execute Adventure Week in our six, uh, six campuses, our six locations. I, I, this isn't like official. We think we had like a thousand kids come to one, one of our total all six campuses. Isn't that amazing? That's like a thousand kids that, that hear the gospel. That's like a thousand kids that we planted seeds of faith in, some of whom actually uh, crossed the line uh, of faith and came to faith in Christ. So if you prayed, if you have given financially to the church, if you helped serve, thank you so much for it. And thank you that we're a church that values and wants to always invest in the next generation uh, of faith. So we just God bless and we give God uh, the praise and glory. Now let me just say this, the gospel is worth living for, preaching and teaching if one person shows up, okay? But the fact that God uh, gave us the stewardship of a thousand kiddos, man, we thank God for that privilege, that opportunity and pray that uh, he empowers us to keep sharing the gospel in our six communities and to all of those who are watching on some kind of device, your TV, your phone, your computer, thank you for joining us as well. We're one church, multiple languages, multiple locations here to connect people from all walks of life to life in Christ. So this summer, we are talking about landmines. If militarily, you know a landmine is something that's hidden from sight. It's buried. It's subtle, but it's deadly. It's dangerous. It's destructive, designed to get a soldier off the path of the battle and, and, and to prevent the enemy from making advances. In our case, we're talking about landmines that we have probably all stepped on, or at least need to navigate around in order to realize our full potential and God's full blessing for us. And so to set up this week's landmine, I'm going to begin by asking a question. When is the last time you did something like radical, risky, crazy, okay? Radical, risky, crazy, and, and you know, and it was like, God, I can't believe I did that. Or, or maybe, maybe for some of us, you wish you hadn't have done it or your buddy had kept you from it. But when's the last time you did something gutsy? Last time you did something risky? Now, I, I, now I, I'm going to add a caveat to it. I'm going to add an and to, to my question, okay? And the reason was faith in Christ. Not, not I, I was stupid, <laughs> Not I was sinning, not I was trying to keep up with the Joneses, not I, I, I followed my buddies and next thing you know, right? I mean, we've all got those stories. I'm not talking about those stories, right? I, I'm talking about, hey, I've done something that other people looking out, outside looking in, the reason, they, they couldn't understand why I did what I did. And, and, and if they had asked me, I had to say something about Jesus. If they asked me, I have to say something about my faith. If they'd asked me, I'd have something about something how the Holy Spirit said something to me through the Word of God, and I had to obey or I would have been disobedient. So if you did something risky and crazy, radical, gutsy, whatever we want to call it, and you traced it back and you had to explain why you did it, it would not be I was stupid. It would not be boys will be boys. It would not be because that's what teenagers do, high schoolers do, college kids do. It would not be because that's what Americans do. That's what people in the South do. It would not be that's what Hispanics do. It would not be that's what white people, African Americans do. It would be because Jesus moved me to do this. Now, my question starts to imply at least two things about what I'm going to call real faith, real faith. The first thing it implies is that real faith is a verb. 
We treat faith like a noun, like I have faith, like saying I have a dog, right? Faith is a verb. It, 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 it is action. And, and that's not my idea. That's like Jesus and the, the biblical writers. Look what Jesus says. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of the God, will of the fa- my Father in heaven will enter. John says it this way, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions, our, our verbs, our do. James says it this way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. That faith produces results, it brings about action. And, and, so that, and so we could even make this statement, Christianity without action is dead. Now, I asked the question, though, when's the last time we all did something bold, gutsy, risky, radical, whatever, in the name of or because of faith? So the, the question implies faith is a verb. The question also implies the second thing, that real faith often acts out of bounds. Now, everybody kind of knows what inbounds is. If you've played soccer, if you've played football, basketball, you know there's boundaries. And when, everything, when something happens out of bounds, the game stops and the ball has to be respotted or reset because you want to keep everything in bounds. And so the analogy is you and I have boundaries with which we're comfortable operating. You and I have boundaries with which it is comfortable, convenient, familiar, routine, but real faith is often going to take us outside of those boundaries. Let me show you this in Scripture. Don't take my word for it. Let's take God's word for it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. See, a lot of us, our boundary is our common sense. Our boundary is what we can reason in our mind. Our boundary is what makes sense to us. So real faith takes us outside the boundary of our own understanding. And then the the author in Proverbs goes on and says, In all your ways, everything you do, acknowledge him, submit to him, surrender to him, and he'll make straight your path. Path is an action implication that we're walking on a path, and we're walking on a path that is not inside the boundary of our own understanding. The first followers of Jesus were invited to follow him, and it says this, they landed their fishing boats, they left everything, career, family, and followed Jesus. They went outside the boundaries of their their career, their culture, their family to follow Jesus. Jesus makes it even a little more radical when he says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, he's not saying literally hate your parents, but he is saying allegiance to him trumps allegiance to family. So there's a boundary there that he just pushed us outside of. Timothy is warned by Paul. He says, all who want to live a godly life are going to be persecuted, which means if we're following Christ, at some point we get pushed outside of comfort and we may be punished for following Jesus. And I, I think in our, in our nation right now, we have to understand it, there is an increasing hostility to being a person of faith. And that's entirely predictable and entirely laid out for us in God's Word. So when you combine these two aspects of faith, real faith is action, real faith takes us out of the boundaries of understanding, sometimes out of the boundaries of, of safety and comfort and familiarity and routine. What's the landmine? Safe faith. Safe faith. Now, let me, let me make a couple of statements. Safe faith, and there is a caveat to that. 
but we'll get to the caveat at the end of the message, okay? There is a little but. Uh, let me explain. It's a caveat. So safe faith is the landmine. Now, here, here, the other piece that we need to mention is this is challenging because, see, a lot of us, our Christianity has been Americanized, and Americans, what are we pretty much addicted to? Health, prosperity, comfort, and convenience. If a company comes out with a new product, what is it generally going to do? Make us healthier, life more convenient, life more comfortable. And then we have just thrown God on top of that. God, your job description is to make us healthier for longer. God, please keep us comfortable. God, please make it convenient. In Jesus' name, amen. And that's not really a biblical prayer. That's safe faith. So you kind of got to listen to get into this sermon, get into this message. And I've been praying for myself, praying for you. You got to kind of take the American out of the Christianity. And you got to open the Bible and say, okay, help me read this guy with fresh eyes. Help me to see something that I don't see. Help me to understand what, what we're talking about, how safe faith is a landmine. To help us see this, there's an incredible story, one of my favorites. It's found in both 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles. We're going to look at 1 Chronicles, that version of it. It's chapter 19, real brief uh, story. But here, here's the backstory. okay? The backstory. this has to do with the kingdom of David, is uh, the king of the Ammonites died. And Hanan takes over the kingdom, and David sends condolences, and David pay, wants to pay his respects to this neighboring pagan, non-Jewish nation of the Ammonites. And when uh, David's emissaries, David's ambassadors, David's representatives show up, Hanan embarrasses them. He, uh, for uh, Jewish men in this culture wore a beard, and he shaves their faces and sends them back, and he shames them. So David's pretty upset about this, and, he, and, and they realize that they have upset David. And David has a reputation. of, of he, he's, he walks in the favor of the Lord generally. He's a military. I mean, he's like General Patton. I mean, he is like a military mighty guy. And so they've upset David, and so it sets the stage for what we're about to see. And here's the Word of God. It says, When the Ammonites realized they had made themselves repulsive to David... Hanan and the Ammonites sent 38 tons of silver to hire chariots and horsemen. So they go hire some mercenaries to augment their army. They hired 32,000 chariots and the king of Mekah with his army who came and camped near Mediba. The Ammonites also came together from their cities for the battle. So we have a battle now. And a battle is, is forming and then David responds to this. So he hears about this, and he sends his right-hand man, his top general, his name is Joab, and all the elite troops. So we got the, you know, the SEALs, the Rangers, the Special Forces. We got the 82nd, the 101st Airborne. I mean, they're all coming in, right? The Ammonites marched out and lined up in battle formation at the entrance of the city, while the kings who had uh, come were in the field by themselves. So here's the deal. You got some of the enemy forces in the city, behind the city walls, and then imagine a field in front, and, and there's, there's soldiers in that field. And then this is what happens to Joab and David's men. Joab, Joab realizes he's been put in between the enemy. 
Now, you don't have to know a ton about the military to know that's not a good place. That's the rock and the hard place, right? So Joab saw that there was a battle line in front of him and another behind him. Now, I just stopped putting the text on the screen because let's talk about that for a minute. So he is sandwiched between hostile forces. Militarily, he is outnumbered. Uh, positionally, he, he's not in an advantage. He doesn't even have the high ground, right? I mean, he's just not in a good spot. So what would we expect if we're leaning on our own understanding? If we believe that the ultimate job of God is just to preserve human life at all costs, if we believe God's job is to make it convenient, make it easy, make it comfortable, and that's what faith is, and that's what faith is supposed to give us in this life, then what should the next line say? Well, it should say, they ran, they fled. It, or, or it should say, God, you know, rained down something on the enemy to, to miraculously and, and supernaturally protect Joab and the mighty men of David. And, and, and that's sort of what we want it to say, right? That's sort of what we think it should say because that's what faith does, man. God helps his people. God protects his people. God gets his people out of jams to protect their comfort, their health, their wealth, their safety. That's what God's supposed to do. But Joab doesn't have safe faith. He's got real faith, okay? Now, it's Father's Day, so I know there's some guys thinking, man, he's going to go Russell Crowe or Indiana Jones or Mark, Mark Wahlberg in The Shooter or something like that, right? You know The Shooter is the number one movie on Netflix. And do you know Matt Evans, anytime The Shooter's on, there's a rule in our house, I have to watch it, and it drives my wife crazy. Just, just say it. No, I'm just, but I mean, so we're thinking, well, what's going to happen? But look what Joab does. He's got real faith. Joab sees the situation, and he chose some of Israel's finest young men and he lined up in formation to engage the Armenians. He lined up. That means he got ready to fight, to act. He got ready to act out of bounds of what is sort of militarily feasible, geographically permissible in, in the realm of combat. He placed the rest of the forces under the command of his brother Abishai. They lined up. They got ready to, in formation, to engage the Ammonites. So what do we learn from this as we move off of the landmine that is so prevalent in our psyche, in our society, in our culture, in our country, the landmine of safe faith? What do we see in this text of how we can move from safe faith thinking to real faith acting. Well, here we go. Number one is this. You've heard the old adage, showing up is half the battle, and that's true. Show up, though, but you got to line up. You got to show, you show up, but you also have to line up and be ready to take action. See, I, it's Father's Day. So there's a lot of dads, you show up. You're there, but you line up for purpose. Half the battle is showing up, but we have to line up. You can show up at church, but are you lined up to hear and receive the Word of God? Are you lined up to act in the name of Jesus? You go to work, and you show up, and your boss gives you a paycheck, but are you lined up at work to represent King Jesus? See, there's a distinction between just showing up and line up. So, listen, here's what happened to Joab, and here's what happened to his brother Abishai. Circumstances dictated. They showed up. But then they lined up. 
And I think the call of God on our lives is it's not enough just to show up in passivity. We have to line up and ready to act in bold, real, true faith. So here's the good news. Here's the incredible news, okay? God's providence already ensures you show up. But knowing his purposes make you line up. So God's providence is this. God's providence is kind of what you and I might be tempted to call coincidence. God's providence means God knows exactly where you are right now. God has uh, put you in positions, put you around certain people, where you go, who you live, who you know. All of that is under the auspices, if you will, of God's providence. Okay, so you are where you are, you know who you know, and it's not a coincidence. It's not accidental. It is God's providence. Yes, he uses your choices, even some of your dumb ones, but he's so sovereign, he's so powerful, he still can exercise providential care, providential control, and providential positioning. So you may think you are where you are for no particular reason, for no particular purpose. It's random. It doesn't mean anything. That's wrong. So you've shown up. So you You've got a place where you show up. You show up as a dad. You show up as a mother. You show up as a wife. You show up as a worker. You show up as a, at Rockbridge, we call them bridge builders, volunteer. You show up at church, but you line up when you know God's purposes. I want to invite you to think about something. I fundamentally believe for every single person listening to my voice, including the one speaking through this microphone. We all have people we're around or places that we are already in by God's providence. We're already showing up, but are we lining up? So to make that real, there's a confession I want us to make. Now, a confession is not always I did something wrong. A confession is I'm agreeing with a truth. Here's the confession. I am in place to participate. I am already in place to participate. I'm already showing up by God's providence, by God's sovereignty. If you don't even want to call it God's sovereignty yet because you don't even know what that means, just say there's no coincidences. I am in place, but I need to line up and I need to participate. You know, the interesting thing that, that comes out of safe faith is this idea of passivity passivity and 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 passivity playing it safe it's not always a sin but it's a seed that often produces sin it's the seed that often produces sin you know sometimes we give Eve a bad rap because she took the apple first and we overlook this part of the biblical text in Genesis 2 where it says Adam was with her what was Adam doing nothing what did Adam's passivity lead to Sin in his family, sin in humanity, sin in creation. Passivity, playing it safe, showing up. Adam showed up, but he didn't line up, did he? Honey, let's pray about this. Honey, what does God's word say? Honey, let's think this through. Instead, he was like, okay. Right? I mean, so he showed up, but he didn't line up. Okay? So, number one, we show up and we line up. Then you get to kind of get into the, the battle mind of Joab. It says, if the Arminians are too strong for me. Now, now listen, I, I want to talk to the men that are here this weekend, including myself. He's admitting something. 
I won't ask you to raise your hands. I'm going to raise mine for you guys. Most men hate to admit weakness. Most men hate to ask for help. Most men, if you don't do bold things, because it's because you're afraid of failure. Now, this man's man, or at least God's man, Joab, recognizes something. There may come a point in this battle where they're too strong for me. Does that make him any less a man of faith? I think it makes him even more a man of faith. Because people of faith know they need to depend on someone or something bigger than them. So this man of faith says to his brother Abishai, if the Armenians are too strong for me, then you'll be my help. I'm going to I'm gonna ask my brother for help. However, if the Ammonites are too strong for you, they're facing the two different armies because they're in the sandwich, right? I'll help you. See, part of real faith is being able to embrace humility and community. Being able to embrace humility. God, I, I, I need advice. I need help. I need wisdom. And I need a body. I need a community. I need a fellowship. This is the church right here. This is the people of God helping each other live on purpose with God for God. This is the people of God showing up in humility, lining up in partnership and community, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the people of God. But so many times, so many times, <clears throat> we don't ask for help. We don't admit weakness. Listen, we're built to be dependent. Do you know that? Do you know that we're built to be dependent? I'll prove it to you. How did I do that air? Did I make that air? My body needs it. No, God gave us that air in creation. We're built to be dependent on God in creation, on God in salvation, on God and being men and women of purpose. We're built to be dependent. We've believed the satanic lie. Hey, if you do it your way, you'll be like God. That's the lie, right? So we have men who won't ask for help. We have men who think, you know, it's, maybe it's weak to be a Christian. Let me just tell you this. Here's the greatest lesson I've ever learned, and I don't always live this lesson, but when I do, I'm at my best. Dependence upon God is the best place to be. So if dependence is the objective, weakness is to my advantage. Because weakness opens me up, what? To help to wisdom, to power, to salvation. Some of you, you know how you think you're so far from God. I'll tell you, you're one step away from God. If you would just say, I can't, God, you can, I'm going to let you. Some of you ask this question, where is God? Where is God? And you are not connected in community to the church. Church membership to you is a joke. God answers prayers. How is he going to answer Joab's prayer? He's going to answer it through his brother. We in this room that have called on Jesus Christ are brothers and sisters in Christ to help each other advance in the kingdom. So we embrace humility and we embrace community. And then Joab gives probably one of the greatest speeches, pep talks, win one for the gipper. I, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. First Chronicles 9, 19, 13. Here's what he says. Be strong. 
Let's prove ourselves strong for our people, not for ourselves, for our people and for the cities of our God. And then he just says this at the end, may the Lord's will be done. Literally, it says, may the Lord do what is good in his eyes. Now, here's the question, though. He's just the prior verse. He's just admitted they may be too strong for him. So, like, is he gone schizophrenic? Is he being hypocritical? Well, okay, Job, Joab, you've just admitted they may be too strong. Now you're telling me to be strong. Where's my... So the real question, the real question, yes, we, number three is we stand strong. But the real question is, what's the source of our strength? So we, let's, let's, let's ask ourselves, let's put ourselves in Joab's. Is the source of our strength that we have more people than they have in this battle? No. Is the source of our strength that our circumstances, our, our position militarily is more advantageous to theirs? No. Is the source of our strength that we know what's going to happen? No, he's already said, they may be too much for me and they may be too much for you. So what's the source of strength? Probably looks something like this. Be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might. See, Joab believed he was where he was by the providence of God. Not by accident. Joab believed he was there for a purpose. And it was a purpose bigger than himself. See, there's three kingdoms. Kingdom of self, kingdom of Satan, and the kingdom of Jesus. You are always operating in one of those three. Self and Satan can work together. Kingdom of Jesus is its own eternal, full, perfect kingdom. Joab stood there on that battlefield today. He was not operating in the kingdom of self. He would have ran. Or he just played the pride card and said, we got this. He didn't play that card. He's not operating under the kingdom of Satan. He's in the kingdom of Jesus right here. In 1 Chronicles 19. Because you see, God had made a promise to Joab's boss. Made a promise to Joab's boss, King David. He said, David... You're going to win some battles and claim the promised land. And he said, David, you're going, to be, you're going to have a kingdom that'll never end. He was talking about Jesus' kingdom. David as the forerunner, foreshadowing the kingdom of Jesus. None of David's mighty men would have been ignorant of those promises. So David can look, so Joab, excuse me, can look at his brother Abishai. In the middle of overwhelming circumstances. And some of you are in the middle of them right now. David can, Joab can look at his brother Abishai and tell him, hey, they may be too much for you. They may be too much for me. But we'll help each other. And then we're going to be strong in the Lord. Because we're not here by accident. We're here by providential positioning for an eternal purpose. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you believe? Your family, your marriage, your kids, do you believe that's providential? 
and has an eternal purpose? Do you believe you go to work providentially, meaning God's in it, no accidents, and you have a kingdom purpose? Do you believe you're here this weekend at Rockbridge providentially, no accidents, no coincidences, and there's a kingdom purpose? Do you believe when you go to Starbucks or Walmart or Kroger or Publix or wherever it is you go, that providence could be at work and there could be an eternal purpose in how you treat the person that checks you out or you bumped into someone on aisle 15? That's the kind of God that we have in the Bible. That's the kind of God that's speaking to us this weekend. So let me share three truths for those who are strong in the Lord. If we're going to be strong in the Lord, three things are evident. The first is we're resting in the sovereignty of God. You know, when Joab says that, may the Lord do what is right in his eyes. Some translations, may the Lord's will be done. But notice what he says, may the Lord do what's right in his eyes. May the Lord do what seems good to him. It's kind of the flavor of the translation in the Hebrew. May the Lord do what seems best to him. As if Joab is saying, hey, look, I don't always know what's good and best. I don't have an infinite mind. I can't look into eternity, past, present, and future and have the wisdom to know how all this stuff fits together. But God does. So may the Lord do what's best to him. I'm going to rest in the sovereignty of God. We may not win this battle, but we believe we will win the war. That's the truth for some of us here this weekend, is it not? So we're going to rest that God is in charge, and God being in charge is better than if we are in charge. There's a Proverbs that I love that captures this. It's such a great one. It's worth memorizing, teaching your kids, especially teaching boys, men. A horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory comes from the Lord. I love that because there's a, there's a God part and there's an us part. God's sovereignty, victory comes from him. Our responsibility, we prepare the horse for the day of battle. Joab is standing there with his brother Abishai between two enemies, and he has prepared the horse militarily, mentally, and spiritually. And he's simply saying victory will come from the Lord. So we rest on God's sovereignty. That makes us strong in the Lord. Second part of being strong in the Lord, we're going to seek to join what God is doing. God is doing. And, and look what he said, for our people and for the cities. Listen, when we are for what God is for, God is with you. Let me say it again. When I am for what God is for, when I am asking, man, God's at Walmart. I'm here to get, you know, my wife sent me to get milk and bread. But man, God's at Walmart. Who can I be for? How can I be alert for God? God's with me. God's with me. See, when you're for what God's for, God's with you. A lot of us want God to be for what we're for, and then we presume God is with us. Let's back that up a little bit, right? Whose battle is it? It's the Lord's. Where does victory come from? The Lord's. So when I'm for what God is for, God is with me. I want to seek and join what God is doing. Joab standing right there. He knows God has promised David an eternal kingdom. He knows God has promised David military, military favor against the pagan nations surrounding the promised land of Israel. He knows all that. So he's standing there in between a rock and a hard place, probably in his flesh. He's got fear. Probably he's thinking about running and retreating, but he recognizes God's hand, not the hand of the enemy. And he says, I'm going to join what God's doing. And as if this is the time, if this is 
is the place for the battle. So be it. I will join God. I will fight this battle with God's help. I will be strong in the Lord, and may the Lord do what's good to him. That's what we need in our families. That's what we need in our jobs. That's what we need in our nation is men and women who are willing to step off the landmine of safe faith and have real faith, which is bold faith. Third component of being strong in the Lord, stepping forward on the path of his promises. Stepping forward on the path of his promises. God promised David a kingdom. God's promised things to you and I too that are yes and amen in his son Jesus. And one question we probably should be asking ourselves as brothers and sisters in Christ is, hey, what promise of God are you trusting today? And it's something more than the sun will come up tomorrow, right? Although that's true. Joab standing on the promise of the kingdom. God has promises for men. God has promises for marriage. God has promises in adversity. God has promises all throughout his word. So we step not in the promise of prosperity. We step not on the promise of the American dream. We step not on the promise of sex, money, and power. We step not on the promise of politics. We step not on the promise uh, of selfishness. We step not on the promise of I'm in control and God's supposed to help me, right? We step on the promises of God. You know, this, uh, this Monday, our nation will mark the Juneteenth holiday or Juneteenth anniversary of when the slaves in Galveston, Texas realized they had been emancipated and so it's, it's a mark of just our nation's progress or movement toward a more perfect union, right? I want to share a story of another man. He actually was a British evangelical named William Wilberforce who was also instrumental in bringing justice to the British colonies in the realm of how Africans were treated. There was a British slave trade that was brutal, and it fueled slavery in the United States. William Wilberforce was elected to Parliament at age 21, became a Christian while he's in Parliament, and he says, well, I'm a Christian now, I need to leave. And his friend John Newton, we got that amazing grace from that man, right? Says, no, you need to stay in Parliament, let God use you in politics. And so he devoted himself to abolishing the slave trade in the British colonies. For 20 years, he fought and failed. For 20 years. And then one day, about 1807, About 4 o'clock in the morning, the British Parliament voted overwhelmingly to end the cruelty, the racist, bigotry, heinousness of the slave trade. Parliament cheered, and everybody looks at him, and he looks at his buddy Henry, and he says, okay, Henry, what are we going to get rid of next? What's he doing? We're never done. We're not going to step back and play it safe anymore. What else can we do for the kingdom of God? Bold faith, real faith, active faith. So I want to just ask all of us to consider something. I especially want to talk to men, and this is part of my story. We need to be willing to fail at something. And then say, may the Lord do what is good in his eyes. I still get nervous leading my kids in prayer and devotions, and I'm a pastor. I still worry I'm doing it wrong. May the Lord do what is good in his eyes, right? What are we willing to try to, what are we willing to fail just in the name of Jesus? Because can you really fail? 
I, I did a funeral this week for someone that was one of our first bridge builders in, in our original like coffee shop in the Wink, and I started thinking about so many people that took a risk on Rockbridge, and my, my story of, you know, in the Navy, uh, getting called to start Rockbridge, starting Rockbridge with like 25 people. I remember my captain, he's telling me why, why I shouldn't do that, and you know, what if it fails, Matt, and the Navy had taught me how to operate nuclear reactors, and so they were going to they were going to put a lot of money in my bank account to stay in the Navy. You know, that's that's right. You know, safety, security, prosperity, money, all that stuff. And I was like, no, sir, I, I got to go do this church plant thing in in, in Northwest Georgia. And uh, and then I, I never forget. And this is I tell this story on Father's Day because my parents, my parents, my and my wife's parents were part of our core group in Rockbridge, and. You know, dads, I'll say this. It's really important for your kids to know you believe in them. And my dad was, uh, somebody kind of got upset that we were starting a new church in in this area. And kind of got got upset at my dad and said, you know this is going to fail. You know Rockbridge is going to fail. And, and, and most men, including Matt Evans, I have a failure fear. Oh, you know, it's going to fail. And I'll never forget what my dad said he told the guy. He said, if Matt and Beth are trying to do something in the name of Jesus, what better thing to, even, to fail at? And he told me that story, and God used it to bring such a peace to my heart as I'm uprooting from Virginia, leaving the Navy to come here and be part of what we now know of Rockbridge Community Church. It's okay. May the Lord do what is good in his eyes. Now, I want to tell you one more thing, then we'll close, okay? I told you in the beginning, the landmine is safe faith, right? And I said there's a caveat. There is a caveat, okay? And so I want to lean in, okay? Because I've been talking about bold and taking risks, be radical. But listen, here's the caveat. Do you know that real faith is really safe? Real faith is really safe, okay? Do you know why it's really safe? Because God has eliminated eternal risk and instead promised us eternal reward. Now, earthly risk is real. But are we living for earthly rewards or eternal ones? Jesus says it this way, okay? He said, listen... He says, my friends, don't fear those who can kill the body. Joab, the Armenians and the uh, Ammonites can kill the body. He said, don't fear those who can cure the body, and after that, do nothing more. So we could say, don't fear cancer. Don't don't fear the the secular, progressive, liberalistic attack on Christianity that's going on in America. Don't fear to the Chinese underground church, don't fear the Communist Party. Don't, don't fear a natural disaster. Don't fear what can kill the body and do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. And the only one who has that authority is the one that's calling this group of people his friends. So it gets better. He goes, yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. And then he says, aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Meaning God knows. Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's economy or in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't be afraid. 
you are worth more than many sparrows. How do we know we're worth more than many sparrows? For God loved the world in this way. He gave his only son, one and only son, so that everyone who believes, trusts, leans in him, follows him, puts their faith in him, will not perish but have eternal life. So God has eliminated all eternal risk so you and I can be motivated to risk and be radical here on earth because we have nothing to lose. So let's represent him faithfully without fear of failure, without fear of consequence, without fear of sacrifice because our eternal destiny is safe and secure and it will be way better than anything earth can provide us. And that is why, brothers and sisters, we live, we stand, we believe, we follow, we risk, and we fight because we know the best is yet to come. Would you join with me as we pray together? I just want to give us all a little space for the Holy Spirit. And you may have to take this into your marriage or into your small groups or into your cars or, and think about this. But would you just pray and listen, God, where do I need to have bold, real faith? What action is in front of me based on where I am currently positioned and placed, Lord, that needs to be bold. And, I, and as you're praying and thinking through that, let me talk to one group of people. I remember when I first gave my life to Christ and I was eight years old, how scared and nervous I was. So there's some of you here today and you have never given your life to Christ. And it feels safe to stay where you are, in control maybe. But maybe the Spirit of God is inviting you to put your faith in Jesus and to follow him. And to get baptized. And in the kingdom of sin and the kingdom of Satan, baptism and trusting Jesus feels scary and wrong or scary and weird. But in the kingdom of Jesus, baptism and trusting Christ is beautiful. So for those of you who need to, your invitation is, would you give your life to Jesus? Others of us, we've given our lives to Jesus, but maybe our faith has grown safe. I've been wrestling with this question, the faith that brought Beth and I back to this community to start Rockbridge. Do I still have that kind of faith, or has it become more comfortable, safe faith? Pray with me, church, because I need to wrestle with that too. But I pray, Holy Spirit, you would take this group of people who have heard this message not by accident, and you would bring about some divine and eternal purpose that brings glory to your son, brings goodness to the souls of men and women who are in our path as we step and follow you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for eliminating eternal risk. Thank you, Jesus, for being worthy of giving our all to. And thank you, Jesus, for being here this weekend. And it's in your name we pray, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.